Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Before we get to today's Five Reasons podcast, I want to tell you about our sponsor, X-Miami. The new X-Miami apartment community is the most fun and convenient place to live for modern Miami locals. It's right across from Bayfront Park and American Airlines Arena. Rent starting in just the 1200s, including a huge gym, and two-level co-working space. The lobby is a coffee shop and cocktail lounge, and the pool deck is insane. There's also an app to manage mobile keys, packages, social events, and your thermostat. Your new home is available fully furnished, or you can rent by bedroom. Mention 5 Reasons Sports for a discount at move-in. Learn more at xmiami.co. That's xmiami.co. And now, on with the show. Welcome to another edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. My name is Chris Whittingham, joined as always by Ethan Skolnick. You can subscribe to the pod on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever it is you get your podcasts. You check out the other podcasts in our network, Three Yards Per Carry, covering the Miami Dolphins, Miami Heat Beat, on the Miami Heat, obviously, and also check out the Balls cast on pop culture and various other topics. Right now, though, we're actually going to divert from the usual topics we have discussed on the podcast. We have yet to discuss baseball on the podcast, and we're going to talk some Miami Marlins, so we're not really talking about baseball necessarily. We're talking about abject sadness. With our guest today, he's the producer of the Dan Lebitard Show, and he's on Twitter, at Billy Gill. Billy Gill, a.k.a. Guillermo, is on the program. Thanks for doing it, man. Hey, guys. How's everyone doing? <laughs> have to start with that introduction. It makes me smile every time. So first off, I kind of wanted to begin with how did your Marlins ranting begin? Is it just something that you were doing off air and Dan, as he does, pulls from off air and makes it on air? Oh, man. I mean, I've it's such a strange relationship I have with the Marlins. Contrary to popular belief, I actually do love the Marlins. And this is just part of my fan. Like, I've been ranting against the Marlins privately with my cousins, friends, family, for years. Like, I've always hated the Marlins, but I love the Marlins. It's the strangest relationship. <laughs> and I think he discovered this a couple of years ago when I was really mad at Don Mattingly about Ichiro and Ichiro's chase for 3,000. <laughs> what was that again? So Ichiro was trying to get 3,000 hits, but he, he basically was a part-time player at the time. And the Marlins sold this, like, it's like a ticket package that they branded as, like, a way to make sure you saw Ichiro get 3,000 hits, where it was, like, you basically bought, like, 20 or 30 vouchers for, like, $10 each, $15 each, something like that. And you'd go and you just, like, digitally claim them when you wanted to. So I had, like, 20 vouchers, 30 vouchers, something like that. And I could just go the day of that I wanted to. I'd claim them that day, and I'd go to the game. So I was going to, like, all these games hoping Ichiro would get his hit because he was, like, three, four hits away. And they had, like, a nice, like, 10-game homestand. And I'm like, this is perfect. I'm going to for sure see the 3,000th hit. And then he, like, slumped. He missed it. And then they were going out of town for, like, six games, seven games, something like that. And somehow Ichiro was a hit away with one game left in the road trip. So I'm like, this is great. Ichiro hasn't started a game in weeks. There's no chance that he's going to do it. All they have to do is make sure he doesn't bat that day. And we'll be good. I'll see it as soon as he gets back. I still have like 10 vouchers left. This is going to be perfect. And sure enough, Don Mattingly, for whatever reason, started him on a Sunday. 
the day before they were coming back, after they had built this whole thing around Ichiro getting his hits and handing out all these like poster boards and stuff, I was just, so I was so mad at Don Mattingly. <laughs> I mean, I had been mad at him about other nonsense things, but I was so mad that he took away the chance. And by the way, Ichiro that game, I don't think he got his hit until like the third at bat in Colorado. And he hit a triple that was like inches away from the outfielder's glove, which just added to like all the pain. <laughs> were you were you rooting were you rooting for like the, the outfielder to catch the ball? Oh yeah. I was so <laughs> excited. I'm like, oh my god. Like as soon as he hit, I'm like, oh crap. Like there it is. And then the the outfielder seemed to have a good read on it and he jumped up at the fence and his glove is up. I'm like, oh my god, he's gonna get it. This is perfect. And then it bounced off the wall and I'm like, ugh. I remember pausing it and sending a screenshot of it to Dan, and I'm like, this Mattingly caught me. Because I was railing against Mattingly forever <laughs> at that point behind the scenes. But that's when I think he discovered my my passion for the Marlins, I'd say. What was the worst? Uh, Billy, I'm thinking back to some of the promotions the Marlins have had over the years. Uh, you, you kind of bring some of them to mind by this one. I, I've i got a list of some of them, Billy. W- which of these was the worst? Was it okay. the Mike Jacobs Jewish Appreciation Day for Mike Jacobs, who was not Jewish? Um, does that <laughs> where, where's, where does that one rank? The time, of course, that they ran out of hot dogs on opening day. That happened again this year, by the way. They ran out of food again this year on opening day. Uh, I was cold. They're not prepared for more than 5,000 people, I guess. Of course, the which this one was a little sad. The Muhammad Ali uh, oh appearance. Uh, I was there was, for that one, too. One of, that was one what of Gloria's first was. Or was it, there were about 20 of them, but, or was it, and again, may he rest in peace uh, as well, Roy Halladay, but was it, they gave out ticket stubs? Uh, yeah, for, tried, for, they, for his perfect game, yeah. Ticket stubs, yeah, to his perfect game after it had already happened. Right. So and, you, there, you and, the, and how could you forget Vuvuzela night? I mean, that's, that, that, that's oh, the one that takes yeah. the cake. That was great. I love that night. I was there for that. Do you guys remember when they had, it was, I think it was the first season in the new stadium. This is like one of the most ridiculous things they've done where they signed, I think his name was Adam Greenberg yes, or something yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. where they, they brought him back because he was playing in a game against the Marlins and it was like his rookie year and he got hit in the head by, I don't remember what pitcher was, hit him in the head and it basically ended his career. And then him and his friends started like this whole campaign to get him one more at bat. And the Marlins signed him and they had their own campaign to come out and watch him. And they told you this game, we're going to get him an at bat. And of course, he struck out or whatever. But yeah, that was just building up like, hey, we're going to give this guy an at bat. And I'm like, man, like this is the first season in the new stadium. You guys already gave up and are resulting to the same gimmicks that haunt this team. We'll continue with Billy Gill. But first, a quick break. You know, Chris, we've been getting a lot of sponsors lately added to our podcast and our network, and that is in large part because Space Wolf, our sponsor, makes it insanely easy to advertise. You can reach over 20,000 people just like yourself by advertising on this podcast. There's a lot of evidence that podcast advertising works better than other mediums. Go to spacewolf.com. That's spacewolf with two Fs at the end and place an ad in just a few clicks using a credit card. Check out our recent tweets on Five Reason Sports. That's the number five, Five Reason Sports for the link. And if you mention Five Reasons, you get 10% off your first ad. All right, so we want to move on to the current situation at the moment. And I feel like, Guillermo, you have presented a divided front 
of yourself on the air on the Levitard show in terms of how you actually feel about all this. So let's kind of start from the very beginning of the transition from Jeffrey Loria to the Derek Jeter group. Now, you had been railing against them even before they took over the team because they didn't have any money. So when that finally came in, you had basically built yourself up to hating him when it was finally done. Why did you build yourself up to hating him? Yeah, I think I didn't give him a fair shot, to be honest with you. That was the thing that was frustrating because I think everyone expected as soon as Jeffrey Loria was gone, everything would be better. And that would that would cure all the problems with the Marlins. All the fans would come as soon as Loria was gone. That would be, you know, the cure all. Just sell the team. The next owner can't be as bad as Loria. But as things were playing out, it's like, wait a minute. We seem to just be waiting around for Derek Cheater to get enough money. But even if he does get enough money, how is he going to operate this team if they don't have the money? So I was already kind of suspicious that things might not be that much better once he came in as the owner. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of saw that things weren't going to be all rainbows and sunshine with a new owner. And so now heading forward with the tanking and, and the whole stripping the team for parts, I think the point that you've been making was that this is not a guarantee for success. And even though the Astros and the Cubs did it, and now seven other teams in the league are doing it, this isn't a guaranteed formula for success because it's not like the NFL or the NBA where you get the top pick in the draft and you get a transformative player. Like You don't know that you've drafted a transformative player until four years from now. So in the interim, you're basically stuck watching seasons that now, based on the fact that they're actually winning a a little bit too much they're not totally disastrous and so you're just watching a bad baseball team that is probably heading nowhere for three years that's the strange thing about this and what kind of rubbed me the wrong way like do you guys remember project wolverine that came out yeah with Mm -hmm. the team the thing about that that was frustrating to me is that the marlins have passionate fans you wouldn't believe it but they do have passionate fans and a lot of people are buying in on the whole you know Let's rebuild and things will all be better. Look at the Cubs, look at the Astros, look what they did. But there's so many other examples that don't end up that way. Like you sent me something from 538 that I saw that says teams that lose 90 to 100 games, on average, five years later, they only win 80 games. There's only 23% of that that win more than 80 games. So it seems like even if they do tank, they're just going to end up right in the middle anyways. So I don't understand it. And the part about Project Wolverine that was damning to me was the fact that their payroll is, they're not really making any effort to do any better in terms of reinvesting money into the product. Last year, their, their payroll was $115 million. They slashed it somewhat to $90 million. Next year, it'll be 81 84 and then they'll move it back up eventually. But while that's all going on, Derek Jeter is getting bonuses, if you believe in Project Wolverine, which they've you know disputed. He's getting bonuses based on the profitability of the team. So it's like, it's just hard for me to buy in on an ownership group and you know their incentives are all financial and how profitable the team is and not based on wins and losses like it's it's just a mixed message to me like i as much as i didn't like laurie and people didn't like laurie here i'm starting to like him more just based on the fact that he was willing to lose money and make these ridiculous signings now they were terrible signings john, john oh Buck. my god Wei Yin Chen is honestly the worst contract the Marlins have ever had. They still owe him like $60 million or something. I blame that signing on why they had to get rid of Stanton because there's no way they could afford both of them. So they, ha- they can't get rid of Chen because he was never going to opt out and no one's going to take that deal. So that's part of the reason why they had to dismantle the team. But he was willing to at least put in money, even if it was terrible money, which it I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I want this team to do well. Like, I want Jeter to be right and make this, like, you know, 
this great, you know, baseball, like this mecca of baseball or whatever. But the way that he's operating is not the way that he's had success. The way that his teams have always had success is by throwing money at the problem. Every year that he played, he was either first or second in payroll. So this whole thing that we should trust Derek Jeter and this direction he's trying to take us in, he's less qualified, not just in running a team, but in running a team on the cheap than anyone. Like he has no experience with teams being successful on the cheap. Just a couple of counters on this. Uh, well, first on Loria, I, don't ease up on Loria because I, I can't. I mean, I mean, look, 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 and not just because he called me a piece of crap once in the clubhouse uh, at, at the former Joe Robbie Stadium, but because of this, they knew what the long-term plan here was, and the long-term plan was to get a stadium built by the city, and then to cash out. And then not even give the city any money off of the deal, which they were supposed to give them. And so the idea that Loria spent some stupid money along the way, like, you know, I mean, it's funny you bring up like worst contract in Marlins history. Like Chris and I were thinking about doing a pod about the worst contracts in South Florida sports history. And the two we came up with with Marlins were Chen and Heath Bell, both of whom Loria signed off on. And the Buck one was pretty terrible, too. So I know there were times that he did spend money. But again, he knew what the long term play here was and he knew he was going to recoup all of that money down the road by basically fleecing the city and then getting away and selling this team for what was it, one point four billion dollars and making essentially a what was that, a six fold profit. So I wouldn't let up on Luria. The other thing about Jeter is I would just say this is I understand what you're saying. Like the Yankees obviously had ridiculous payrolls when he was there. But the way that that Yankee team was built, if you go back to 95, when they built sort of that dynasty team that Joe Torre managed, their four core players for that period of time, as you know, Billy, were Jeter, Posada, Pettit and Rivera. Right. And then throw Bernie in there, too. And those were all homegrown players. So I agree with you in saying that Jeter didn't have to be with a team very long in his career that didn't have a high payroll because, again, the Yankees would go out and get Texera or the Yankees would go out and get A-Rod, or the, which Jeter wasn't real fond of. But they would go out and get guys. But the core of that team was built through the system. So I can kind of understand, although I don't like a lot of the things he's done so far. I don't love the fact that he's taking a $5 million a year salary it, again it makes it look like he's just in it again for the money but he has not always been with teams that have been built through free agency the the core of that group was built through the yankee system i mean my, my frustration with that is that i feel like we had that core like we had that core in the outfield and tore it down again to start over which it's just a, a repetitive cycle over and over and over again and i realize that it's a new ownership group but it's kind of like how many times do i have to experience the same thing and keep falling for things will be different this time. Which isn't fair because they haven't done what the other ownership groups has done before. But, I mean, they kind of just did. And in terms of fire sales, I don't remember what site it was. Had a thing saying that the last season, the Marlins fire sale was the largest in terms of war from one season to the next. It was the worst fire sale that there's been since like the 1800s. And you're absolutely right, Billy, in terms of that outfield. That outfield is what results from a tanking process. When you tank and then you build your team back up again and you have all these promising young players, it looks like Yelich, Ozuna, and Stanton. It was, I think, the second best outfield by war last year. And then you start supplying it with extra money. And 
Miami is not a small market. I mean, it's not. And the fact that the team doesn't draw attendance, the team that the, the team doesn't have interest, I don't think is an indication on the city or the fan base. It's an indication on, well, show me you're going to compete before I come out to the ballpark. I mean, it's the same thing in Houston. Like there isn't an, there isn't a city in Major League Baseball that wouldn't have reacted to the Marlins the last 20 years the way that Miami has because they basically have never gone into a season except for maybe 04. I think we talked about this, Ethan, on a recent pod, where the the way you build fan bases is by promising the potential to win the championship. And I think, say, for 2004, the year after they won it, they have never had the promise going into a season that they were going to win the championship. You could have talked yourself into it in 2012 after the Reyes, the Burley, and the Heath Bell signings, obviously as, as sideways as they went. But I just don't think that they've given really enough to show that this is going to be a team that's going to win championships. And on top of that, just the history of the team, you also know, like, you have to be guarded in terms of, like, there's a long time where it's like, buy a Marlins jersey, but don't get a player's name on it because you know they're not going to be here for very long. So it's hard It's hard to build a fan base that way when you know, you know, this is basically just, we're breeding these players, we're, we're building them up to, you know, when they get too expensive, we'll send them off to another team. I wanted to, actually, as it related to the Marlins, and I know this is grim, but maybe there's an idea we can explore in full, but all the different things that happened because Jose Fernandez passed away in that boating accident. And first off, I don't think the sale of the Marlins happens if Jose is still in the team. I don't think the fire sale happens if Jose is still in the team. And who knows, maybe they made the playoffs last year with Jose Fernandez still in the team. And that, for me, is the thing that's hardest to think about, is how much is the butterfly effect of him not getting on that boat that night and him still being in the team. It really does change everything, doesn't it? I mean... <sighs> I've thought about this a lot, and I've thought kind of similar to you, but I've also then thought on the other side, like, there's no guarantees that he would still be here. Like, there's no guarantees that they wouldn't have traded him. Like, I remember, I think it was Craig Mish put out that they were close to trading him to the Diamondbacks, I mm-hmm. think, in 2015. So with arbitration coming up, because he's a Scott Boris client, and Boris is never going to let him sign early. So if he was going to get to free agency, there's a very good possibility that they would have traded him at the deadline or, you know, the offseason before he was going to become a free agent. So, I mean, it's nice to think, it's romantic to think, hey, if that would not have happened, things would have been completely different and we may have made the playoff. You know, if you remember in 2016, they had a nice little run going up until the accident. And then obviously Mm -hmm. that just completely changed the dynamic of the team and the season. Like they won maybe like three or four games the rest of the season after that. Like it was not... I mean, it completely deflated the team. So, I mean, you could think, hey, you know, if that wouldn't have happened, maybe they would have continued their run that season and snuck in as a wild card. Maybe they would have made this, the playoffs last year. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Because I don't know how much, I guess, maybe making the playoffs would have brought more people out. But in terms of the finances, I don't know how much would have changed because they still would have been stuck with a lot of these bad deals that they're stuck with. And at a certain point... I don't know if it would have changed things that much. What's interesting about it, too, is and I I agree with you. We don't know if Jose still would have been on the team because, like you said, Craig had reported a couple times that they were close to dealing him and probably was going to get dealt before the next season. What's interesting about it to me is that Chris and I have done podcasts about how there's very few stars in Miami right now across sports, right? Like, I mean, maybe the Dolphins just drafted a couple. We'll see. But Dwayne Wade came back and was instantly, again, the biggest star in Miami because, again, Stanton had been traded, and the Dolphins don't really have that kind of person. You know, Tannehill doesn't inspire that in people. Yeah. And and now we even see Sue and Landry, who uh, Sue didn't have much of a, 
uh, individual following, but Landry did. You know, they're gone. And so, really, if Jose was still here, he would be the biggest star in South Florida sports, like other than Dwayne, who, and again, Jose would be in his prime at this stage, whereas Dwayne is well past his. So, that's the thing I think about is that, you know, they had something in Jose, someone who connected with a community. So, maybe it's different. Maybe Loria, like Chris says, holds on to it because he had such affection for Jose. And maybe they build that way. I, I want to transition real quick to something else because, you know, as we're taping this, Stanton just hit another home run. Um, and, <laughs> and, and and as as we're talking, you know, I mean, I know he, I think he came in tonight hitting two thirty. Um, and I, I think he's I think he struck out in a third of his at bats. Right. So I'm curious as you look at the guys they gave up because I was looking at the numbers on the four of them, and uh, D Gordon's played pretty well with Seattle. Ozuna's off to a slow start. And Yelich has been only sort of okay, and Stanton has been boom or bust, as he can be. Well, Yelich was injured, too. So that played into it. But how much do you miss the four of them, or is it just the concept of, as you said, you felt like the Marlins had built this thing and were tearing it down again? I mean, are are we going to look back in a few years at the way we look back at that Cabrera trade and say, wow, that was horrible, like this guy's going to the Hall of Fame, and he was here and we gave him up for for what Burke Badenhop and Cameron Mabin and bad Mike Rubello, of, I think, and the bad version of Andrew Miller before they figured out that he was a reliever, right? So, how do you sort of evaluate? Does it make any difference to you that those four guys have not performed collectively at that high a level so far this season? I mean, it's it's early still, and Stanton gets off to these slow starts. The Stanton thing is not that surprising to me. Like his struggles, that that's what he would do down here. Like, he strikes out a ton, but he's going to figure it out. He'll get hot at some point, and he'll turn it around. Like, I'm not rooting against them. It does bother me that they're gone. I mean, even if they were down here doing the same thing, I'd rather see Yelich doing that than J.B. Shuck in right field. You know what I mean? Or Cameron Maben. J.B. Shuck. (laughs) I'd rather have them down here trying to figure it out than, you know, what we currently have. They'll turn it around, I think. And the thing about the Stanton trade, like when we look back and think it was a bad trade, the thing about that is that he was the National League MVP. And his deal, when Bryce Harper signs his deal, I don't think the Stanton deal is going to look that bad in comparison. And if Machado has a decent season and he gets a big deal, then the Stanton deal's not all that crazy. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're going to look back and we're going to think we could have gotten more for that. Because not only did we send him away, we got back... I think one or two prospects, Starlin Castro, and we sent them money. Like, you'd think if you're sending the best player in the franchise, I mean, it's Cabrera and it's Stanton in terms of best players in franchise history, right? So if you're trading the second best or first best, whatever order you want to put it in, player in franchise history, you want to get back more than two prospects, a second baseman who, you know, has been an all-star a couple of times. He might be the all-star on this team just because every team needs an all-star, but you want to get more in return for him. It almost felt like a salary dump, right? And that's and the NL MVP cannot be a salary dump, no matter how big that salary is or how many years are left in the deal. Like it's insane that he was a salary dump, and so I, that for me was the flaw. In- this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game. I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, 
had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Miami Heat. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Kind of the whole plan is that how much better is the farm system really after all that? I mean, the best guys were the Brewers guys. That's the thing is that we moved up from the bottom to, I think, just around the middle of the pack. And we, we've lost all our, our chips. Like, what else do we have? How else are we going to rebuild the farm system? We don't have anyone else to trade, so we're going to have to do it through drafts, which is going to take a while. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's probably real mutual. That's all that's left, right? Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll have to trade JT and try to get people from him, but... I mean, the top prospect we got in the Yellow thing is Brinson. He's already in the majors, so he's not doing anything in the farm system. I mean, outside of the draft, I don't know how we're going to get any better. We'll continue with Billy Gill, but first, a quick break. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Heat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Carlo Navas. And unfortunately, the Heat have been eliminated from the playoffs because the Sixers and the referees are clearly cheating. Um, jokes aside, we're still going to be going strong. Every Monday, look for new episodes of the Heat Beat Podcast. We're going to be going into the Heat's future, past, and present, as well as going around the league. And we're going to be guest heavy throughout this postseason run. So check us out at MIA Heat Beat on Twitter and Miami Heat Beat on Facebook so we can keep you posted on what's to come. So what, what does the divisions look like among Marlins fans? Because you had texted us that you feel like criticizing the Marlins or criticizing the plan, uh, that people are kind of shaming you for, for thinking that you and thinking that you're a bad fan because you don't want to go to games anymore because they did this again and you don't believe in the plan. Where are those divisions for you amongst the Marlins fans that you talk with? So there is um, there's the people that's all in. I think they're like hashtag Marlins party or something like that. And they're all in on this whole thing. And they do the hashtag respect the process with the number two thrown in there for Derek Jeter. And then there's the people that don't care at all, which is like a lot of people. And then there's people like me that are upset about what's going on. And it doesn't seem like anyone wants to see the other person's side. Like, I think it's idiotic to just believe that Derek Jeter is going to turn things around because he's Derek Jeter and trust this process and all this just because, you know, Derek Jeter's a winner and he's won before and this will all work and tanking will all play itself out and we're going to be the Cubs and we're going to be the Astros because we've done this like four times and we've never been the Cubs or the Astros. Aside from 2003 where we had like two or three seasons after where we're still good and we had the core of the team, we've never had long-term winning 
So I don't know why they think that this time is going to be any different than it has been in the past. But at the same time, I get a lot of people that are not thrilled with my criticism of the team. Now, I think that you can be a fan of a team and not be delusional. You can be a fan of a team and criticize what they're doing wrong. Like, Heat fans are, I think I'm just as passionate about the Marlins as a lot of people are about the Heat, except people aren't used to Marlins fans being passionate, which is why they'll talk to me on the air. I stand out somewhat because there's just not anyone that's that passionate about the Marlins anymore. Like, I'm not delusional. I'm not going to be telling you that they're going to win the World Series when they're not. If the manager does something that or I they're going like, to beat the Sixers in five. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, there's so much delusion in fandom. And, and, you know, I can be a fan without being delusional. Now, if they win five straight games, they win 10 straight games, I'll completely swing. And then I will be delusional. And I'll tell you how great they are. But then when they lose three more, I'm going to tell you that the world is ending. Like, that's just how it works with fandom. As far as I see it, and I think it's fine to criticize the team. Like, I don't think you have to blindly support these people just because they're your favorite team. I don't care if these people make or lose money. It's not my money. I want them to win. Billy, when you look at the guys, you mentioned Brinson a little bit earlier. He's gotten off to a pretty slow start, actually. And I I think a lot of us, we had Will on for a pod talking about how great Princeton was going to be ultimately, and I think we were sort of attaching a lot of hopes to him because he's local, because he's personable, because he has a skill set that can attract people. He's gotten off to a slow start. Garcia's been great, actually, and we haven't seen Monte Harrison up at the big league level. Is there anything? I mean, you mentioned J.D. Shuck, obviously. I mean, I I don't know that a ton of of Marlins fans are going to the park for J.D. Shuck, no offense, but is there anything so far that you've seen this season? You know, they're not tracking that far behind their win total from last year. Is there anything you've seen that you like? I mean, Harlan's been great. I thought that Jose Urena was going to be good this year, and that has not panned out. But the bullpen has been decent, which is frustrating because you look at what we were missing last year, and it was pitching and bullpen. So it's like, man, if we wouldn't have gotten rid of some of these guys and we had some of these pitchers, maybe things would have been different. But it's hard to to look at it and be too optimistic because it's baseball. So even, you know, Brinson's struggling now, but he'll figure it out and he'll get hot and then you'll get excited about Brinson. And Harlan's been great so far, but, you know, he'll hit a rough patch. It's hard to get too excited knowing that there's not really any actual hope. It's just false hope that'll last a week or two weeks or a month and then things will figure themselves out because it's not like they're going to make any So let's say they go on a run. It's not like at the all-star break, they'll sign a missing piece. They're more than a piece away. So like, yeah, I like things, but I don't know that those things are going to be, I don't know what's part of the long-term plan. Is Harlan going to be here in five years pitching the way he's pitching now? Probably not. So it's just, when you go into a season with no hope, knowing that there's no chance of it being a winning season or no chance of you making the playoffs, it's hard to get too excited. On the flip side, though, I'm not nearly as frustrated with this team as I was last year because last year I had such a high expectations for them. So I'd get actually upset. Now I see them struggling and I'm just like, yeah, you know what? Like, that's just what's going to happen. Like, I've accepted that this is just going to be the fate of this team for however long it is. The frustrating part is not knowing how long it is because everybody tells you, Derek Jeter will tell you, everybody in the trust the plan. There's a plan. Trust me, there's a plan. We're not going to waver from the plan. And they won't tell you when this plan is going to end or how long I have to be frustrated because they don't want to discourage the people on the team or whatever their thing is. But it it seems like it's an endless – we're at the beginning of an endless cycle of hopelessness. So while people are doing well, it's hard to get too excited because I know it's – you know, it doesn't really matter. 
So the the Chicago Cubs did the same thing, and it's basically four years, right? So I don't know when exactly Theo Epstein took over. I'll look it up here real quick. But they lost. They won 71, 61, 66, and 73 from 2011, 2014, and then made it to the NLCS in 2015. So the Astros is pretty well the same thing. It's four years of bad, and then you get to the good bit. So and we're talking about 2022 before this gets good. And uh, Jose Urania just gave up another home run. Oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Ethan, Ethan, I actually wanted to ask you something about the yes. attendance. Should Major League Baseball be, or not Major League Baseball, should should the city of Miami be ashamed that the that the number is that low? That it's not like because other cities they'll get to ten thousand, right? But you do not see attendance numbers in a major professional sport, like not even an MLS. Like you have one team in Columbus that will put up the average, you know, nine thousand. It's still nine thousand. It's not seven thousand, right? There are scant professional franchises that will average under ten thousand people in the major American sports. Should Miami be embarrassed by that, or is it a reflection of the city's correct relationship with the team? Yeah, other than Atlanta, obviously, which uh, shares a lot with with Miami, except for their love of soccer, which, again, I'm going to hijack this thing in a minute after I answer this question because I've got something I want to throw at Chris on this and kind of test you guys on it. Uh, Should Miami be embarrassed? No. Um, As Look, as you guys have talked about, they really only – look, ownership down here has only given it a chance one time one time in the entire history. And that was after the 2003 title where they ran it back in 2004 and then signed Delgado. And so they had a representative team before that one was blown up. That's the only time they didn't give it a chance after 97. And again, that was, you know, the late Wayne Huizinga decided not to give it a shot after that 97 team, which you know was a little bit of an older team than the 2003 team. So I don't know that it had the legs that the 2003 team would have had, but you would have liked to have at least see them get an opportunity. And then again, we've seen we saw Loria blow it up time after time. So I understand why the fan base feels the way that they feel. I like the ballpark. I know people. some people have an issue with parking or the traffic getting in and out of there. But look, it's a nice place to watch a game. It's what a lot of people said that they wanted. And it, it hasn't translated to anything. And then we talked at the very beginning of this, so just all the stupid things that ownership has done through the years that have made them kind of a laughing stock. So look, I don't blame them for that. I, I don't think you, you should criticize fans for showing up for a bad product. It's kind of like when we had Jason Leisure here on the pod and he was talking about Steve Ross and the Dolphins. Like he's like if the Dolphins were a TV show, they would have been canceled. You know, you don't you you, <laughs> you, you you don't keep watching a team that's consistently 6 and 10, you know, or 7 and 9 and is 28th in the league in scoring. Like it's just you can't blame the fans anymore if they start to tune that out because again, you see the other end of the spectrum where you look at the Heat situation, guys. Like, the Heat's not in a good situation right now. We've talked about this many times on the pod, uh, and I know you guys have gotten into it on, on the Levitard show, Billy. Like, they're capped out with a sort of a middle-of-the-road team. And if they were any other organization right now, they'd be getting killed for that. But there's a faith that Riley will somehow pull the magic out of his hat. I put a poll up on Five Reasons Sports about the most likely team to get Kawhi Leonard if he's not with the Spurs next year. And the other options were the Lakers, Philadelphia, and Boston, all of whom have the assets and the cap space to make a real run at Kawhi Leonard. And they're all huge markets with big fan bases. Like, they make a ton of sense. And 70% of the people on that poll, and I know we tailor our stuff to Miami, 70% pick the Heat. Like, you, you like... <laughs> Like the Heat have 10% of the assets of any of those three teams, but there's this faith like Riley is some magician that's going to pull it out, and the Marlins are on the complete other end of that spectrum. So they're never going to get the benefit of the doubt for anything until 
they can prove it. And I think that's kind of where we are. I want to get to three quick things with you guys. I want to kind of turn the tables on you a little bit. I want to throw this one at you, Chris, because sure. again, again, you talk about, I mean, you're, you're a big Philadelphia 76ers believer, right? Trusting mm-hmm. the process and all that. But you're not as enthusiastic. I mean, you're comparing it a little bit to the Cubs and the Astros, but you're not as enthusiastic about what Jeter is doing from our conversations. Why? Is it just that baseball is different than basketball in that yeah, sense? Yeah, it's a bit of that. To me, because you have so many cracks at picks and you see so many players that make it to the majors as 11th round picks, Like it's much more of a crapshoot, the draft. Now, you have seen the Astros and the Cubs take advantage of their early round picks, but like Billy said, like everyone who picks at the bottom of the draft, it doesn't always work for them. And Well, in the NBA, it's true as well. To me, the difference is, yes, this ownership group didn't do it, But there is real baggage between the Marlins and ownership. And the whole point of complaining about your owner for 15 years was that you get a new one who want to spend money, not get the same thing. And so, yes, in theory, I like the idea of losing to win because that is the incentive structure of sports, right? The incentive structure of sports in this country where there's no relegation and there's a draft where you can get the best amateur cost controllable players is to go and lose to win. And so other teams in Major League Baseball have done it to decent effect. Now, it doesn't always work, but they've done it to decent effect. This doesn't happen in a vacuum. In theory, this is the plan that would work the best given the, the, the Marlins roster. I can understand it. But the Marlins have done this four times. That matters. And so as a fan, I'm not as enthusiastic about it because my team has always done this and it hasn't led to anything. And so why should I be led to believe that this is any different? And so, yes, it's a little different when it's your team versus when you can analyze things in the abstract. And it's kind of why nationally, yes, the Marlins are getting killed in some respects because, you know, they're doing this again. And I think there are people who are sympathetic to what's happened down here. But there are people who look at it from a baseball point of view and say, yeah, that's what I would have done. That makes sense given the current state of the roster. But I do have the baggage. I don't care about it nearly as much as Guillermo does, but I also have the baggage of being a Miamian and having seen this multiple times. And yeah, it sucks that it happened again and that you had the National League MVP on your roster and decided, not for me, don't need him, and we're going to sell him on to the Yankees for not nearly enough in return. The thing is this, we're just assuming it'll work. What if it doesn't work and we're in the exact same spot four years from now that we're in right now? Like, that's the part about it that's frustrating is that there's no, like, there's just this blind faith that it's going to work and I, I just have seen it not work so much and the idea of of not making an effort at all because it'll just plan out is just it's crazy to me to not not try which is what's happening like sure we have people here we'll win a game we won't win a game but we're not really trying to win games because four years from now it'll all be better but it might not be because it hasn't been so many times down here it's just frustrating i'm glad that it works some places i just don't have any faith that it's going to work here all right, so let me go to number two with you guys, because this is another topic that Chris and I uh, handled on the pod a little bit, and he brought up MLS because he tends to do that. So I wanted to get to, to, to this with the two of you guys. Do you think, let's say that Jeter does keep the team here, and they just go on this course, they get sort of incrementally better, but they don't make the leap, but they're still here. Do you think, Billy, that MLS can pass the Marlins in this town? Oh, I don't know. I mean, because MLS has been down here before and not worked. I guess it's different now. It depends. I mean, let's see how good. I think it all comes down to how good is the team. Because there's a team down here that's not good. They're not going to just support a team because David Beckham owns the team. Because, I mean, their Jeter owns the team, and it's not working out for him. I think it all comes down to if the team is good or not. 
I'm with you there, and but I think I mean committed ownership is a big difference, and the MLS team now has the owner that I think the Marlins fans would have wanted in the Moss brothers in terms of the the desire to go and spend money. I actually think uh, to me the biggest bummer in all this is. When you watch the World Baseball Classic be here in Miami, you realize the potential that this market has for baseball if they correctly marketed and presented a quality baseball product on the field because I think Miami has room for both kinds of Hispanic. To me, there is baseball Hispanic and there is soccer Hispanic because you, Cubans, Dominicans, Venezuelans, Puerto Ricans tend to be more into baseball. Like As a country, that is their national sport. And then for the most part, the rest of South America, and then you have Mexico and Costa Rica where primarily they're soccer Hispanics. So it is kind of interesting to me when people talk about Hispanic, well, Hispanic, Hispanics. Well, just because you know they come from the same origin in theory doesn't mean that they're into the same things. And so I think that baseball, actually, of the demographics in this market, should, in theory, work better than any sport down here because of the kinds of people. I mean, there is, there is a white population, and then you mix it with Cuban is probably the most prominent Hispanic in South Florida, and they are giant baseball fans, giant baseball fans. And to me, the other bummer, too, is that there haven't been more Cuban players that have come through here. So I think both should work, but I think MLS will work better because I think they have the ownership and the ability to, from day one, compete at the highest levels of the league like we've seen some expansion franchises do in MLS in recent years. This year, it's Los Angeles. There's a new team in Los Angeles that won again at the weekend. I think they've won five of their opening seven games, and they're at the top of the Western Conference as an expansion team. And then Atlanta is doing similar things. They're drawing crowds of 45,000 people because you could just come out of the gate, spend more money than everybody else, and win straight away. So if Miami, if, if MLS Miami decides to do that, they can absolutely come in and I would say take over Panthers, Marlins, and really threaten at, at the top of the sporting landscape because of the kinds of people that live here. That was a much better answer. <laughs> he practices that answer in every podcast. Oh, so that's why I, yeah, I that's, set him up with that. That, that answer has been re- that answer has been did. rehearsed. That, well, we did that. We did that answer on, a, on an early episode of the podcast. All right. So there's one more quick thing I wanted to get to the two of you guys, and then we we'll see if Chris has got some other stuff here for you, Billy. But let's just do this. Does Stu know a single player on the current Marlins? <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> Well, yeah, he knows Dr. K. If you ask him who Dr. K was, I don't think he'd be able to tell you. <laughs> yeah, he knows Dr. K. <laughs> Can you explain the Dr. K joke for the audience that maybe doesn't know the, the origins of Dr. K? So Dr. K, I think Caleb Smith started the second game of the season. And it was one of these things where we're just going back and forth in the break, trying to annoy Dan as much as possible. So like the way the show works, for those of you who aren't familiar, is a lot of it revolves around annoying Dan. And that's basically <laughs> Stu Gatz's character is just annoying Dan. And Stu Gatz is great in terms of you can probably, if you do enough massaging, you can get him to say just about anything and do anything. <laughs> so a lot of times the breaks are just me peppering him with things, like talking into his headset, just giving him different ridiculous theories. Like I, I had a theory about Nolan Ryan a couple days ago that Nolan Ryan was an underachiever because he didn't have enough wins for the number of seasons he pitched. Because I said, oh, he, you know, he finished like 30 games over 500 for his career, but he pitched 27 seasons. So I'm like, he's basically getting one win a season more than loss, which is ridiculous for someone who's supposed to be the best pitcher of all time. So it's just things like that that I'm constantly going with him back and forth, just spitting in his ear. And his headphones are so loud that Dan hears these things. So we were talking about Caleb Smith and how none of us know who Caleb Smith is because 
it was the second game of the season, and all the there's lots of new faces on this team. And he practiced the line with me. Do you know what the C in Caleb stands for? K's. And I'm like, that's incredible. You need to say that on air. So he said that on air to make Dan's head explode. And then somehow <laughs> the, the C in Caleb stands for K's turned into Dr. K. And that's just stuck for whatever reason. And somehow Caleb Smith is like high on the list of strikeouts per nine innings, which we had no idea that Caleb Smith was even a strikeout pitcher. It just happened to work out that way. That's brilliant. Uh, we actually, so we, we asked uh, some of the fellow uh, hosts in our podcast network if there's anything that we should ask you. And uh, there was uh, one person who shall remain nameless uh, Alfredo. Who, who, <laughs> <laughs> who asked if, if you are annoyed that Stugatz is ever increasing in profile on the back of your jokes. Oh, my God. No, I mean, I'm along for the ride right now. And like when I'm no longer along for the ride and he's, you know, cashed in, he's making, you know, buckets of money based on things that I've given him and I'm no longer part of it, then I guess I could be more upset. But it, it's kind of mutually beneficial, even though it's more beneficial for him than it is for me at the time. But uh, yeah, you know, it's part of the deal. I just wanted to, just want to interrupt you guys. Stanton just hit another home run. Oh, wow. <laughs> And by the way, I just looked up these strikeouts per nine innings numbers. Caleb, Dr. K is fourth in the league, a pitcher with at least 20 innings and in strikeouts per nine innings. That's incredible. And the names on the list are like insane, right? It's like Scherzer. It's uh, Robbie, it's like, Robbie it's Ray, Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer, and James Paxton. So it's like good pitchers and Dr. Yeah. K. <laughs> Who's a good pitcher now. Uh, so... Uh. <laughs> I mean, if you strike out that many players, you're 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 a good player. All right, so well, he pitches uh, like he pitches like four innings because Mattingly takes him out. So he you know he gets four strikeouts in four innings. He's going to average like what nine nine strikeouts mm -hmm. per nine innings, right? What are you uh, what are you ranting about with Mattingly these days? Uh, he's gotten off the hook for because of Jeter for a while now, but you know I, I was mad at him about taking out Harlan for a no hitter a couple weeks ago. But he's been – we're cool right now. We're, we're cool. Not that he knows who I am. <laughs> has but has cool anyone from the, the Marlins reached out to you about these rants? No. I mean, <laughs> it's strange. Like, I, I act as though they can't hear me when they probably can. So I'm sure they're annoyed with me. I have a friend that works in, like, uh, like PR, and he's, like, friends with someone that, like, works for Marlins PR. So he's friends – he somehow knows someone that would handle first pitches. And he reached out to the person and was like, oh, yeah, it'd be great if Billy threw out a first pitch. This was like a year or two ago. And the guy's like, I am familiar with Billy. I love Billy. That's never going to happen. <laughs> All right. Is no, there – no, oh, go on. I was going to say, you'll just teach Stu how to throw the first pitch, and he'll go out there and throw oh, it for God. you. <laughs> you know, the thing about Stu Gotch throwing out the first pitch is that he wanted to throw out the first pitch until he realized he'd have to drive down to the stadium from Parkland, and then he wouldn't show up for the first pitch. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, is, there any, is there any other rants you want to file before you go? Anything uh, related to the Marlins, related to Jeter, related to their current plight that you would like to file before we go? Uh, I think we've covered it all. I mean, if, if I think of anything, I'll call you guys back. Not that that's how this works, but I'll just tell you privately. All right. Fair enough. Billy Gill of the Levitard Show. You find him on Twitter, at Billy Gill. We appreciate his time and his rants on the local hour of the Levitard Show that only occasionally go national, and when they do, they make him even funnier. Uh, appreciate the time, sir. Thank you. All right. That is Billy Gill of the Levitard Show. Check out the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever it is you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, at 5 Reason Sports. That'll do it for this episode.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.